0: you ever feel like there's so much pressure to create content in social media that some days you're just out of ideas you have no idea what to post next and then you don't post and then your engagement goes down or your followers go down and it's just like vicious cycle well I want to help you because I want to share with you my 30-day content calendar and it doesn't matter what your niche is or what it is you sell or what it is you do or what it is you look like any of those things This is 30 days of killer ideas. Like you're going to get so much inspiration and examples of exactly what's working and how you can make it work for you, depending, of course, your niche or what it is you normally post. Even if most of the time you know what to post, but every once in a while you just hit a block and you can't think of what you need to post. Listen, I want to make this super simple for you. Grab a copy of my 30-day content calendar. Plus, it's free. So you just go to instaclubhub.com forward slash content. Again, instaclubhub.com forward slash content. And as always, the link to that will be in the show notes. So you don't even have to write it down. In fact, you can click on it while you're listening to this episode. I've done quite a few episodes recently about the hardship and the toll that it can take on us when we are caring for people that we love who are suffering. Now you might be too young to think about that someday you could have dementia or Alzheimer's or maybe you're at a stage where you're wondering if someone you love could be having some of those first signs of it. Or maybe you know someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia and you would love to know what they could do to minimize or slow down the process. Well, what I wanted to do for you today is put together a collection of the best experts advice who I've had here on the show. And I wanted to do this so you could have it all in one place. You need to hear this again, even if you've heard some of this advice before. And perhaps this is the episode that you need to share with someone you love. We can make a difference. We can make a change by just making some really minor doable lifestyle changes. And it's so important that we take action today. All right, here we go. Can you tell us a little bit about the science and the studies that just have looked at the difference between men and women's brains and dementia and Alzheimer's.
1: Yes, gladly. You know, it doesn't take a scientist to denounce the fact that women's financial, social, and physical security remains inequitable, but it does take a scientist or a clinician to denounce the way that women are also overlooked medically, which we know, and really still today, we teach and practice bikini medicine. It's an unfortunate term if you will, to describe how historically medical professionals believed the men and women were essentially the same person with different reproductive organs, the parts of the body that fit under a bikini. (laughs) So aside from those parts, most doctors would diagnose and treat both sexes or both genders exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, the very notion of women's health is a bit dodgy. You know, if you ask a doctor to look at a woman or a female patient through the lens of women's health, they do a blood test to check your hormones, like you said, they do a pap test to check your cervix for cancer. If you're over 40, you you get a mammogram to make sure your breasts are okay. Mm-hmm. And these tests are fantastic and we should all really use them, but women's health remains confined to the
0: health of a reproductive organs. That's interesting, I've never thought of it that way. And- right what testing should she be doing or asking for on her own so that she's taking the initiative when it comes to her cognitive health, her brain health?
1: Yes, right now it's a little bit difficult to ask for tests (laughs) because we're we're quite not there as a field. I think we're starting. So, Because these tests are only available for research at this point, like brain Mm -hmm. scans. My immediate answer was, oh, you should get a brain scan. Mm -hmm. But the point is that you can't ask for it. Hmm. The, The doctors will not be able to prescribe one for you unless you have very specific symptoms and pathologies. But just in a preventative way, we are able to provide women with these tests for research, clinical research that, however, really offers women a very strong baseline evaluation. And then the hope is to keep repeating these brain scans over time, and really use the information that we get from the brain scans to make sure that all women are really at their best not just physically but also cognitively and mentally and intellectually because our brains are one of our greatest assets Mm -hmm. if not the most important one and our brains have been neglected overlooked and under-researched wow which is something we really need to correct
0: i couldn't agree with you more When you mention a brain scan and I think about the woman out there right now who knows that she's going to you know be denied yet she wants to she wants to make that investment herself right like you think about a brain scan and I guess I should clarify first are we talking about like a SPECT scan what we do especially for Alzheimer's prevention is MRI
1: scans Mm -hmm. for sure to look at brain shrinkage is a very important thing that can happen with aging Mm -hmm. and Alzheimer's disease We look at inflammation in the brain. We look and, well, honestly, we look at so many things that most people don't even know can happen (laughs) to your brain, like small vessel disease or white matter lesions or periventricular gliosis, aneurysms, brain tumors, cysts. We we screen for everything.
0: What might that type of MRI run if I were to pay for it out of pocket? Well,
1: that's the thing. You,
0: You can't. You can't. No,
1: <laughs> It's very hard. I mean, I think some doctors might be persuaded to do that and and have you pay out of pocket, but it's not quite common practice.
0: What I love about the work that you do is you're really trying to shift the paradigm, really trying to shift the way that we think about Alzheimer's, so that we're understanding the preventive measures.
2: To your point, which are free. Here's what works: Harvard study, large. Wealth uh, powered, incredibly well done study. If you walk a brisk walk, though, not you know, when, when we have we tell our patients to exercise, oh, Dr. Shares, I, I'm in the garden, I do, those are great, those are meditation. We mean exercise. You got to get short of breath and tired. If you do 25 minutes of brisk ex- exercise every day, you lower your risk of Alzheimer's by 40 to 45 percent. It is 100% effective. And for the younger people, you are more likely to abstain from Alzheimer's if you start exercise
0: early. You mentioned a brisk walk and it just blows my mind. It also makes me a little bit angry to think that this isn't a lead story in the news, like that we're not just spending millions of dollars to, I don't wanna say mandate, but focused on helping people understand the essential, like the amount of money that we would save, the amount of heartaches that we could save, If between 40 to 45% of people can prevent Alzheimer's by doing a beautiful, out in the air, brisk walk, it's just remarkable to me that this is something people, if you're hearing this right now and you're not thinking about doing that, I have to ask why. Women, I think in particular, we tend to think like, uh, oh, this is because I'm perimenopausal. Oh, this is because my hormones are, quote, out of whack. Or maybe it's this, or maybe it's that. How much of this really does relate to our hormones and what is the difference truly between his brain and her brain?
1: It's a great question and it was so fascinating to me to find out that hormones actually matter a lot <laughs> for women's brains because my background is in neuroscience and neurology and nuclear medicine it's very hardcore biology if you will and we never talk about women's hormones as having an impact on cognition right wow. we know that they affect mood but we don't think about hormones as something that could potentially affect your risk of Alzheimer's. And so when I started looking into the differences between men's brains and women's brains, I'll just summarize this very quickly, but the point is that there are many theories on how women's brains differ from men's brains. And as a scientist, I can guarantee that there is no such thing as a gendered brain. Like when we say women are from Venus and men are from Mars or pink and blue Barbie and, and Legos those are more like social constructs right they have nothing yeah. to do with where brains are built but from a biological and physiological perspective women's brains differ in some ways from men's brains and these differences really matter for our health for example women are more likely than men to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or depression. We're three times more likely to have an autoimmune disease, including those that attack the brain, like multiple sclerosis. We have four times the risk of headaches and migraines. We're more prone to developing meningiomas, which is the most common form of brain tumors. Mm. And on top of all this, Alzheimer's disease affects more women than men. So almost two-thirds
0: of all Alzheimer's patients are women. Wow. And why is that? Is that because of lifestyle or... What percentage of that is, does she carry the gene more frequently? Mm, No, it it seems to be independent of genetics. It's
1: even found in patients with the genetic mutations that cause Alzheimer's. And what most people said for a long time, which really goes hand in hand with the bikini medicine approach that we discussed, Mm -hmm. what, what most people would say is like, well, you know, women live longer than men. That's it. Like Alzheimer's is a disease of old age, women live longer than men, so who cares?
0: I see.
1: But it turns out that, yes, women live a little bit longer than men, about four and a half years in the United States, and only two years longer than men in the UK, for example. That's interesting. But Yeah, but Alzheimer's disease is the number one cause of death for women and not for men, Mm. even though the difference is only two years. So there's something else in it it is not just aging. And so we looked into that and what was really important was to understand that Alzheimer's disease is not a disease of old age. We associate Alzheimer's disease with the elderly because that's when the symptoms become evident. But in reality, Alzheimer's starts with negative changes in the brain years if not decades prior to clinical symptoms. And for most people, that's in
0: midlife. Let's also talk about some of the studies that you have been a part of and can share with us some of the details regarding cardio versus strength
2: training and then maybe even what type of strength training. Yeah, yeah. That's actually quite interesting. And it was a a little bit of a shock to me that strength training is as important as cardio. But a particular type, although in retrospect kind of makes sense, but but leg strength seems to be very strongly correlated with brain health. Mm. Of course, leg strength is incredibly important, especially as you get older, because one of the main reasons elderly end up in the emergency room is fall risk. And there's nothing more important for fall prevention than leg strength. But aside from that, people with bigger legs seem to have bigger brains. So whenever we hear something like that in science, we say, oh, no, there's a directionality problem. Because they're healthier, therefore, they had bigger legs. No, no. When they looked at it forward, people who developed their legs also had bigger brains, developed bigger brains. In one study, they looked at, of course, controls. They controlled for a population that is stretching, another one that their leg strengthening. And this was in people who were pre-dementia. There's a state called MCI, mild cognitive impairment, pre-dementia state. So they're at high risk. And they did leg strengthening. And by doing leg strengthening, they reduced their chance of dementia in that short period by more than 30%. I mean, that's a short period to look at. So if they would have looked... So why? Because the biggest pump... you know, Remember, your brain is the most vascular organ in the body, but as we age... Our vascular changes, vasculature changes. And I'm talking in in your 30s, they start changing, Mm -hmm. especially for women, especially for moms, because uh, pregnancy is a vascular event. And what happens is uh, blood supply to the brain, we believe, becomes tenuous, at, at least at the microscopic level. And leg strength is important because what pumps blood mostly to your upper body is not your heart. It's the legs. The veins don't have muscles. The leg muscles keep pumping the blood up. That's one. The second thing is exercise, especially uh, strengthening exercise, seem to increase the amount of this hormone called BDNF. Yes, we love BDNF. BDNF, yes. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor. When I was at NIH, we used to pump. We would put two tubes on one side, on the other side of the brain, in the brain. And one side was BDNF. The other side would control. Lots of studies, no results. Well, Mm -hmm. guess what? Exercise intrinsically and naturally and properly increases BDNF.
0: I want to say a special thanks to our friends at Soul CBD, who I can't thank enough for spending the time to listen to me, to hear my concerns with regard to my own sleep, and just some things I wanted to experiment with. And we are so fortunate to have partnered with them on creation of the ultimate sleep gummy. And there's lots of sleep gummies out on the market. There's lots of CBD gummies out on the market. This is so different and frankly, so much more effective than anything else that I'm aware of on the market because of the quality of the ingredients and the combination of the ingredients. So this sleepy gummy combines, are you ready for this? Melatonin, CBD, tea extracts, and cannabinol. Take a look at some of the research on cannabinol and you are going to understand why this particular gummy formulation is so crazy effective. Not to mention, of course, the fact that it's triple lab tested so you don't have to worry about staying sober. It has zero THC. You could give it to your children. You cannot overdose on CBD. It is something that helps to improve and calibrate your central nervous system. That's the CBD part. The cannabinol, which is taken from the cannabis plant, has been found to help people feel drowsy and to stay asleep longer. Again, no THC. You won't wake up feeling groggy. You won't wake up feeling any different other than the fact that you will have gotten a great night's sleep. Now, let me talk about melatonin for a second. Some people do great on melatonin. Some people need a small amount. Some need more. Some people need less. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. So when you get your gummies, and by the way, I do apologize to my friends in Canada because we are not shipping there yet, but when you do get your gummies, give it some time, experiment. Try a half a gummy for the first couple of nights, see how you feel. Maybe you need a little bit more, try a whole gummy for a couple of nights, see how you feel. See how you feel after two gummies. It's so different for every person, I have to tell you that. And again, these are all natural ingredients, which is not to say it's 100% cure for everybody, but I can tell you, based on the DMs that I get. And that matters a lot to me. Like if people weren't getting insane results, if it were just me that were getting these insane results, I wouldn't be raving about them the way that I have. So I want you to give them a try, especially if sleep has been a struggle for you because it truly is the cornerstone of good health. You get to try them now and get 15% off when you go to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shalene. Again, it is 15% off when you check out And that gives you 15% off all of their products, but just make sure you grab those sleepy gummies. Oh, two flavors. There's blueberry, lemon, and there's honey chamomile. I personally love the honey chamomile. It has chamomile tea extract and honey. It's softer, but it tastes like chamomile tea with honey. Like it tastes just like that. So if you don't like chamomile tea, which Brett doesn't, then you won't like it. If you like blueberry lemon, you'll love the blueberry lemon. They have a little different texture because they have slightly different ingredients. All 100% organic. You check them out by going to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen.
1: So it's really important to know which factors are most important for women. Because when we talk about Alzheimer's prevention, most people would be like, well, what's your cholesterol level? Or do you have an APOE for a gene? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Or um, how about insulin resistance, right? These are the things that we we tend to look at for Alzheimer's prevention. But studies that were done specifically in women have shown that hormonal factors are actually much more impactful than these other factors that people usually look at. So for example, for women, thyroid disease, menopause, whether or not a woman is taking hormones for menopause, those are all very, very important to safeguard the brain. Also, it looks like hormonal therapy might be protective. If you said if a
0: woman is taking hormones or hormonal therapy, can you define those for us?
1: Yes. So as women go through menopause, there is a menopausal hormonal therapy as a therapeutic option where we try and replace the estrogens and or progesterone that the body is no longer making mm-hmm. by introducing hormones from medications. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's a lot of talking being on bioidentical hormones or more traditional hormones. And do you have an
0: opinion one way or the other, bioidentical or traditional?
1: I personally do not. As a scientist, Mm. I go after publications and clinical trials, which are all done in traditional Mm. hormonal formulations because bioidenticals haven't really been tested in large scale clinical trials. I think for us, I would say, the understanding is that they carry the same risks until you prove otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right? So just to be cautious, I wouldn't tell a woman to go on bioidentical hormones because they're safer. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. We don't know if they're safer, mm-hmm. at least as far as our brains are concerned. But I would also really love to see a lot of research.
0: And I may be jumping ahead too far, but is it safe to assume then what you're saying is women who are being treated with a bioidentical or traditional hormone where they're doing hormone therapies, they are actually decreasing their risk? We're hoping. Okay. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's the hope. There is some evidence that that might be the case, Mm -hmm. especially if the hormones are taken within six years of menopause, Mm. right? So either before menopause or within six years of onset. And that seems to be in some ways protective, or at least not harmful. Whereas if you start taking hormones more than six years post menopause, Mm -hmm. that may actually increase the risk of dementia.
0: Early is the key on all this stuff. Yes, (laughs) prevention. Are there studies that have looked at chronic sleep deprivation or years of sleep deprivation and the impact that has on Alzheimer's?
2: Yes, uh, so sleep is profoundly important. And how could it not be? I mean, how could it be that evolution has created this system where we are actually at put put in the highest risk possible. You're knocked out, you're paralyzed. I mean, we're talking about paralyzed. Yeah, you're right. Uh, because for eight hours a day, one third of your life, how could this be beneficial? Well, it is because the whole purpose of sleep is for your brain mm-hmm. entirely. And what happens to, during that time is two things. One is Memory and thoughts are organized in different files, folders, and cabinets, uh, proverbially speaking. And that's incredibly important. We know studies that one night's bad sleep, 40% reduction in attention, focus, and memory. I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing numbers, but there are lots of studies that show worse. And so, The other thing that it does, which is even more important, is cleansing. When people talk about cleansing and we get invited to these really fancy talks and resorts and where we give talks and... And I'm not disparaging anybody or, you know, I don't judge at all, but, you know, people talk about this cleanse and that cleanse. And we said there are two cleanses, water and sleep
0: mm. that we
2: know of, numerically, scientifically speaking, and sleep is the ultimate cleanse.
0: Mm.
2: Nothing out there could even come close to sleep as a cleanse. We have lymphatic system in the rest of the body and in the last 10 years. In Rochester and UVA, they found this other system called glymphatic system because the glial cells do the cleaning. These, These other janitorial cells, which actually outnumber the neurons by 10 to 1, at night they become extra active. I mean, significantly extra. And they go and clean up the proteins, the bad proteins like amyloid, the bad connections even, the axonal connections. And one night bad sleep, they actually go awry and start attacking its own brain, their own brain. Can you define what one night's bad
0: sleep means? Is that a night where I'm tossing and turning, or does that mean I've lost more than a
2: certain number of hours? So to the best of our knowledge, and I like that statement because that's the most humble statement in language. We know that seven to eight hours of sleep is important and seven to eight hours of deep sleep. What does that mean? When you sleep, you go through these phases, phase one, phase two, phase three. Now they've combined phase three and four, and then REM sleep. And you really have to go into those phase three and four and REM really comfortably and deeply. In fact, the, the way the EEG findings on your, on your EEG changes significantly, much slower, much calmer. And you have to go through those cycles, which last about 90 minutes, four to five times at least, which tells you you need at least seven to eight hours. So that's what creates that cleansing. In those deeper stages of sleep, you get the cleansing and the dreaming. But what the dreams are for is much more important. They organize the mind.
0: Organize the mind.
2: And so you need those deeper levels of sleep. That's basically it. Now, you can be knocked out. You know, like alcohol knocks you out. And people say, oh, no, alcohol! I I do great with alcohol because it knocks me out. Well, it does. But it affects the deeper sleep. So you don't go into deeper sleep and restorative sleep. You can use barbiturates you know, Ativan and Xanax and all that, that's great. And I'm not against all any of these short term or under the supervision of a doctor. And Somebody needs it, absolutely, there are times. But when you are on these medicines, it affects you. It affects you, the sleep pattern, the sleep depth, everything. Just because you're knocked out, it doesn't mean you are getting restorative sleep. So that's what's required as far as deep restorative. Now, it's okay if you wake up once or twice or even three times a night, but you go right back to sleep because you're going to go back to those phases. But if it's interrupted and it's disconnected, then it's not going to be beneficial. So yeah, that's actually the definition of good restorative sleep. As it
0: pertains to diet, we know the standard things that most people need to eat a far less processed diet, that we need to avoid foods that are fake and phony. And is there a particular diet that is different for a woman to consider? And what do we know about the difference in diet before she has Alzheimer's and after maybe there's a diagnosis? Mm, That's a really good question. I think most research
1: done in women has been looking at women across the lifespan, Mm -hmm. not necessarily before and after the diagnosis. I, I think after an Alzheimer's diagnosis, we need to make sure the patients eat more because there's a tendency to stop eating and drinking. So it's important to pay more attention to the nutritional quality of the food. I think, but in general, for women, there's strong evidence that a Mediterranean style diet is quite supportive of women's health. In particular, there's a ton of research showing that, as compared to women on a Western style diet, those on a Mediterranean style diet are much better off in every possible way. They have like three times longer telomeres, which means that they are three times biologically younger. At a cellular level, they have 25% lower risk of heart disease and stroke. They have a 50% lower risk of breast cancer. They have a much lower risk of depression, fewer hot flashes. And if you look at their brain scans, which is something we have done, then the brain of a, let's say, 50-year-old woman on the Western diet looks at least five years older than that of a woman of the same exact age on a West on a Mediterranean style.
0: When we diet. say a Western diet, does that mainly mean processed food, or is that simply implied that it's higher in carbohydrates? I
1: think it's more processed foods like burgers, fries, a lot of soda, refined sugar. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm better at explaining what the Mediterranean diet would sure, be, which sure. is like a lot of fresh produce, mostly plant based, with smaller amounts of meat, mm-hmm. enough fish and polyunsaturated oils. Healthy like fats. from, Yes, healthy mm-hmm. fats and basically no processed foods mm-hmm. although we do have the, the
0: occasional treat. <laughs> when you say mainly plant-based, I also think of the Mediterranean diet as including fish.
1: Yes, fish is just meat and fish. <laughs> so mostly veggies and fruit and whole grains and legumes and then fish will come next with eggs. Mm -hmm. and smaller amount
0: of meat and dairies. And is this also true for men? Well,
1: yes, there is quite a bit of research showing that this diet is good for both men and women. Mm -hmm. But the results seem stronger in women, which I I think, and this is my opinion, I don't know if it's true or not, but what's interesting about the diet, it's quite rich in foods that contain phytoestrogens Mm -hmm. or estrogens from plants. Yes. And those phytoestrogens have been associated with improved hormonal health, right? And the later onset of menopause and reduced infertility. And, and, and I think it all sums up making women's bodies more resilient to aging because it just keeps your hormones going for longer.
0: I want to take just a moment to remind you how important it is to think on paper I talk about it all the time. It's so important, especially if you're someone who's easily distracted. You need a notebook with you at all times. This is where you jot down your best ideas. When you think on paper, all of that creativity flows and it, it sends that message out to the universe. It's crazy the things that you can manifest when you put your ideas, your thoughts, your dreams, your intentions on paper. Whether you're looking for a very simple to use, effective day planner or a blank notebook to capture all of your brilliant ideas and brainstorms, the place to go is pushjournal.com. We've got blank notebooks as well as incredibly easy to use day planners. Like this is the day planner I created as someone who has ADHD who needed something super simple. We've got new designs, designs that have more blank pages or our classic push journal with a health tracker, as well as blank notebooks that are so cool. They're so adorable. Like It literally will tell people a little something about your personality when they see you writing in this notebook. Check them all out by going to pushjournal.com. All right, back to the show. We know the damaging effects of stress. What are some of the suggestions that you offer that
2: can help people, like real practices to reduce their stress? But stress is profoundly important. So because short-term survival is sympathetic, parasympathetic system, autonomic system, fight or flight is the sympathetic. That's a very powerful system. That fight or flight, every time you have stress, that fight or flight is coming to the forefront. Mm. That fight or flight is actually creating a system of survival, not thriving. And that's very evident. Your cortisol levels go up, your vasculature constricts, your hormones, as far as growth hormones go down, your insulin is affected, your thyroid is affected, your immune system is lowered, why? Those are not too much energy to spend at a time where you're just surviving. Mm-hmm. So you're going towards survival, which means eliminating things that are not immediate survival. And this is not something I'm making. This is 101 physiology. Immune system goes down. That's why higher cancer rate among those who have chronic stress. Your sex hormones go down and thyroid's affected, which affects your weight gain and everything else. Your satiety and non-satiety because of these chemicals that affect your satiety and non-satiety, your f- sense of hunger or fullness, those hormones are directly affected by stress. So every system is affected because it's in a survival mode. If it's a short-term survival mode, it's actually beneficial because it challenges the brain, the body and the brain, and the genetics says, oh, I survive." Then at actually that period, your genes are improved for short period. So stress, when but if it continues... Oh my goodness, that's a continual sympathetic overdrive, which means all of this. Here's another pathway that it, as if that wasn't bad enough, your limbic emotional brain interprets situations. And now let's stick to that word interpretation because that matters. Okay. Because one behavior is stressful for one person and not for the other person, right? Absolutely. That interpretation sends a different message to the hypothalamus. If it's stressful to that person, then hypothalamus sends a message to the pituitary. And pituitary is hormone central. Everything. Again, same thing. If it's perceived as stressful, it's survival. All of those things happen. If it's perceived as not stressful and purpose-driven, even if it's difficult, even if it's the most difficult thing, but it's perceived as purpose-driven and something that I can accomplish, that, that perception, and here that's where the dope, then a complete set of different cascade of chemicals, which are building and growing and equalizing all the hormones. And this is a fact. It's two things. So, so what do we do? What we do is I'll leave the meditation mindfulness aside for a second. What we do is management, business management, identify the stressors specifically, measurably, the good stressors and the bad stressors. I like chess. It's hard when they beat me on computer. It's mm-hmm. a- I love learning to play guitar, even though I'm terrible. My wife is a great musician. I'm terrible. But that stress, why is that not causing harm? Because it serves my purpose. There's a the goal I'm reaching. It's almost like a stretch as opposed to a stress. Like it's stretching you, it's pushing you, it's creating plasticity. You know, it's making yeah. us grow. We use the word stress because it's. I want to make sure that people kind of take control of that word. You're right. We can actually call it a lot of other things. We can call it stretch. We can call it challenge. We can call it all of this stuff. I wanted to call it stress to kind of give them a sense of control that all stress is not equal. All that pushes you is not equal. How you control it, how you measurably control it.
0: Mental activity, right? So those mental activities, stimulating yourself in that way, challenging yourself, stretching yourself in that way. Not only do they help the brain, but they
2: also help to reduce our stress because they are a good stress. If your mind is not active, if these 87 billion neurons with one quadrillion potential connections firing at the rate higher than any supercomputer today is not active, it is, you know, an idle mind is a workplace of the devil. Well, an idle mind is a workplace of degeneration.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you,
0: more importantly, for sharing it with the people who need to hear this. And sometimes they're stubborn. Sometimes there are people in our family who you just feel like there's no changing their ways, changing their habits. But I'm telling you, even if they just make a few minor changes, it could add years onto their life. It It could add quality of life onto their existence. I mean, Brett and I personally know how crazy it is to think how quickly this disease takes your loved one away, but yet they're still there. And I guess that's why they call it the slow goodbye. And it's something I hope that someday we can eradicate. It's an important mission for us. And so I thank you for sharing this episode, for listening again, and for implementing some of these changes. These are lifestyle changes that They're going to make every part of your life a little better by doing some of these things. Most of them are free and they're going to give you a better quality of life. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, just do me a favor and double check and make sure that you're subscribed or following if you're actually someone who listens on the Apple podcast. And if you've got just like 30 seconds, it would really mean the world to me if you were able to leave a five-star review and tell me specifically what it is you liked about this episode. My show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I do also have a business podcast that comes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I host that with my son, Brock. It's called Build Your Tribe. You should check it out. There's always a link in the show notes. I'm sure you know this, but on Fridays, my episodes are very casual. Very personal. It's usually stuff with myself and my husband. And if you love that kind of stuff, I wanna invite you to check out my Patreon. It's all of the Shaleen Show episodes ad-free. In addition to that, for just $5 a month, you get extra episodes. And this is this is the stuff that's like kind of too personal to put on the Shaleen show. It, it's all personal stuff. There's like no like personal development. It's just real raw, what's going on in our lives, stuff we can't talk about on the show. However, if you are easily offended, Patreon is not for you. That's not the place to be, all right? You can learn more about it by going to patreon.com forward slash The Shaleen Show. Any of the links that I referenced in this episode will show up in the show notes, which are just below the episode. To learn more about the services that I offer and to take advantage of some of the free resources, I invite you to check out my website, which can be found at shaleen.com.